Our Old Testament lesson today is from the book of Isaiah, chapter 40, verses 1 through 11. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock. Like a shepherd, he will gather the lambs in his arms, he will carry them in his bosom, and gently lead those that are with young. The word of the Lord. The psalm for today is Psalm 85. Lord, you were favorable to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You withdrew all your wrath. You turned from your hot anger. Will you be angry angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again, that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Faithfulness springs up from the ground, and righteousness looks down from the sky. Righteousness will go before him and make his footsteps away. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, is 
Our New Testament lesson today is 2 Peter, chapter 3, verses 8 through 18. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do the other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. The word of the Lord. The gospel lesson this morning comes from Mark, chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. Will you please stand for the reading of the gospel? This is the holy gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Mark. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair, and he wore a leather belt around his waists, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not even worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Please be seated. 
the second week of our sermon series on waiting songs, where we're going to take a look at the psalm appointed for each week of Advent. What do God's people do when things are impossible and there's no relief? They cry out to him in prayer and they ask for his presence. The psalms are really the emotional center of the Christian life, and it's good for us to hear them and to pray them and to meditate on them. Let me pray for us as we look at Psalm 85. God, we ask that you would be with us. We ask that you would be among us. God, we thank you that when we don't know what to pray, you have given us a book of songs that we can pray to you. We thank you when we don't know what to pray, that we know that the Holy Spirit prays along with us. We ask you to guide our steps as we apply your word to our life. In Christ's name, amen. I always get excited when any time that Isaiah 40 is read in a church. Um, about four, almost five years ago now, uh, when Elizabeth and I were still courting or dating or talking or whatever it was, I was living in D.C., she was living in Atlanta, we were talking on the phone every day. She asked me one day what my favorite verse of the Bible was. And without hesitation, I said, it's in Isaiah chapter 40. And actually, because I'm going to misquote it, I'm going to open it up here. A voice said, cry, and I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flowers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. People are beautiful and they are flawed. And they are temporary. And no matter how gorgeous this creation is, the one thing that we that we know for sure is that God is constant and his word is sure. And that's always a great comfort to me. And then a couple months later, when I was about to get ordained, Elizabeth presented me with, uh, with my first deacon stole. And on the inside of it, where only I can read, she had hand-stitched that verse of Isaiah 40, uh, verse 6. The grass withers, the flowers fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. If you remember last week, we read Psalm 80. And it kind of sounded like this. Uh, God's people crying out to him to, that he would remember his covenant with them. They reminded him of, of how well they had, that he had cared for their forefathers, and they want to rest in his promises again. And it had that repeated line of, Restore us, O Lord, let your face shine us, that we might be saved. And so, if you have a Bible or an app on your phone, turn to Psalm 85. That's where we're going to be this week. And when you read that psalm, when we just read it together, it kind of sounds like Psalm 80, with one exception. It sounds like they're asking for the same thing again. It's certainly possible to imagine that this psalm was written after a time when Psalm 80 was. Basically, in this psalm of 85, God has heard the cries of his people. God has restored their fortunes after they repented and they returned to him. And yet, now they need the same thing again. And so what are we looking at here? Uh, in terms of dating the Psalms, it's always kind of tricky to know when, when anyone was written. Uh, John Calvin actually proposed an interesting possibility that I think certainly 
squares with the, the tone of this psalm and also with the known history of Israel. Calvin said that this was probably a psalm from the time between the Old and New Testaments, when the nation of Israel was under one oppressive regime after another. First, the Persians, and then Alexander the Great, and then a Greek empire that was actually centered in Syria. And it's this kind of oppression by neighboring enemies that's actually spelled out and prophesied exactly in, in the book of Daniel, in chapters 11 and 12, and then clearly and unambiguously fulfilled in those couple hundred years between the Old and New Testaments, when Israel was just getting oppressed over and over and over again. So the Israelites are praying to God for deliverance. God brings them back from exile in Babylon, and then they get taken over again and again, and it seems like God has forgotten them again and again. And so they do what the people of God always do. They cry out to him in prayer. And this cry comes in the form of Psalm 85. And it comes in four stanzas, or kind of groups of verses. Verses 1 to 3 are the first stanza. It's a time when this worshiping community looked back on God bringing them restoration and revival. Verses 1 to 3, Lord... You were favorable to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of their people. You covered all their sin. At this point, if you're following along in your Bible, you might see a word that we didn't say when we were reading it responsibly. It says, verse 2, You forgave the iniquity of your people. You covered all their sin. Selah. If you ever see that when you're reading the Psalms, it's almost like, a stage direction. There's, there's actually not 100% um, unanimity, consensus about what it means, but most likely it means that there was a moment of pause. Whether it was corporate silence or like a musical crescendo, there was a moment where people stopped singing and praying. It's a, a universal agreement that it was supposed to highlight whatever came before it. So anytime you see that when you're reading the Psalms, it's a pretty good clue that whatever you just said was important or worthy of reflection or worthy of shouting amen and lifting up praise to God. So this is, this is big in verse 2. It's recounting the history of the covenant that Israel had with God. God said to Abraham, I'm going to be your God and you will be my people. And then later, he clarified that even further through Moses to the whole nation. He said, I will be your God and you will be my people. And then he also said, as long as you continue to abide by my commandments, you will have blessing and favor and fortune in this land. But when they turned away from him, did God's people ever stop being his covenant people? No. Because he forgave the iniquity of his people. He covered all of their sin. He had redeemed them before, not because they deserved it, but because he loved them. And that's why there's this pause here to reflect on the gracious nature of God covering their sin and forgiving them. In the Gospels, when Peter asked Jesus, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother before I just write him out of my life completely? Should I do it up to seven times? Seven times is the, the biblical number of perfection. And it's also four more then the rabbis of that time were saying that it, was a, that it was good to forgive people. The rabbis of that era had kind of agreed that forgiving someone for the same thing three times was a very godly thing to do. And that after that, they were kind of on their own. So Peter says to Jesus, 
should I forgive my brother maybe even up to seven times? And Jesus blows him away with the answer. He says, no, 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 not seven times, 77 times. It sounded pretty gracious when Peter had bumped it up to seven, but Jesus said, you aren't even close. And Jesus didn't literally mean that on the 78th time that your brother does something against you, that you're just like, I'm done with you, you're out of my life. He was, he was exploding the number that Peter had given. He said, you never stop forgiving them. And there's a similar thing in Luke where Jesus says, if your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the same day, saying, I repent, you must forgive him. You keep on forgiving over and over and over again. We live our life in a posture of forgiveness. Why do we do this? Jesus was constantly, I ran. Jesus was constantly telling his disciples, be like me, emulate me, do what I do, follow me. And so this is not an issue of God saying, do as I say, not as I do. The reason that Jesus calls us to constantly forgive others over and over and over again is because that's exactly the quality of God. That's what God does. God never said that forgiveness is easy. (laughs) In fact, in verse 3 of the psalm, the, the psalmist prays, you withdrew all of your wrath. You turned from your hot anger. So God has wrath and hot anger towards sin. He hates injustice. He hates iniquity. And yet... And they're praising him for this. And yet he set their sins aside. He covers it over. He forgives it. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he put their sin from them. That's what the Israelites are praising God for here in the first stanza. So we see the example of God's forgiveness. And we see the people's response to God's forgiveness. And when we reflect on that, we're reminded that we are to continue that pattern of forgiveness in our lives. Second stanza, verses 4 through 7. They've, they've reminded God what he has done for them. And now they're asking for that again. They might not even know why this is happening to them. God could have said, look, I told you the rules and you broke them. But he forgave them and he restored them. He not only forgave their sins, he actually restored them to the land and gave them their prosperity back. And so that was after the Babylonian exile. The Israelites come back in, and they start to put the kingdom back together, and it's great. But then it all goes wrong. And so they actually have the audacity to ask him to do the exact same thing again. Jesus said, if your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the same day and returns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. And he told others to do that because that's what he himself had done for the Israelites in the Old Testament. And they're praying to him, restore us again, O God of our salvation. Put away your indignation to us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. They're saying, I I don't understand it. Can't we go back to the way that it was? Didn't we have it great then? Okay, not not the way that it was was when we were rebelling against you, but the way that it was when you restored us. Why did that stop? And this is what God's people do. When we find ourselves in times of trouble, whether we know the reason or whether we don't know the reason, we call on God, we cry out to God. 
We say, will you please revive us again that, our, that your people may rejoice in you. Show us your steadfast love, O Lord. Show us, show us your hesed, O Lord, your, your covenant love, your, your promised never-failing love, and grant us your salvation. If you're familiar with the Book of Common Prayer, if you, if you know morning prayer or evening prayer, that last verse might kind of ring a bell in your head. We pray it every day at morning prayer and evening prayer. Show us your mercy, O Lord. Show us your steadfast love and grant us your salvation. And so here Israel is asking for God's blessing on them. But he's asking, they're asking for God's blessing on them as a nation. When you read this kind of thing, it's understandable that we would ask ourselves, okay, what does that mean for us? Are we, are we to ask God's blessing on us as a nation or as a church? Because these two things are very, very different. So are we asking God's blessing on us as a nation or as a people of God? Yes. I mean, nations are pretty arbitrary and boundaries shift and change over time. But there's absolutely nothing wrong with asking God's blessing, with, asking, with God's people asking God's blessing on Virginia or America, or France, or Honduras, or Sudan, or India, or anywhere. We pray for ourselves, we pray for our families, for our neighbors, for our enemies, for our leaders. We pray for repentance, we pray for forgiveness, we pray for revival and restoration of all people. It's important to note, though, God has promised his covenant faithfulness, his steadfast love to his people, he has not promised that steadfast love to the United States or to France or to Honduras or India or the Sudan. And we need this revival as his people. He has promised that covenant love cannot fail to his people, and we need it. And we need him to revive us. Knowledge of our own sin, true repentance, assurance of forgiveness, and a rededication to walk in the path that he has already shown us. This is what we pray for as the people of God. While we pray for the blessing of God to be on all people, we know that his, the, the, the surety that we walk in, the light that we walk in, is that his covenant love to us cannot fail when we are his people and when we know what he has already done for us. So what has God already done for us? The last couple verses, stanzas 3 and 4. In stanza 3, which is um, kind of the... the the second, I'm sorry, the, the third quarter of the psalm, it's, it's kind of a wind-up, like they're getting to something big. They cry out to God, they call on God to restore his people, and then they say, okay, okay, now he's going to tell us. Now he's going to tell. Let me hear what the Lord God will speak. For he will speak to his people, to his saints, but he will not let them turn back to folly. Surely, surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. And so they're getting ready to hear this good news from God. And then what does God say? Verse 10. Steadfast love. It's that same hesed word. It's covenant faithfulness, unbreakable love. So steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs up from the ground and righteousness looks down from the sky. Yes, the Lord will give what is good 
and our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before him and make his footsteps away. So that's it, God. We ask you to restore us and revive us and bless us. And you give us a bunch of abstract nouns, meeting and kissing, and they come up from the ground and they go, they go down from the sky. I was kind of hoping for something a little more concrete that I could kind of apply to my life. Oh, wait, verse 12. Yes, the Lord will give what is good, and our land will yield its increase. Cool. Good. When can I pencil that in for? Because I got a lot of problems here. When can this blessing from God show up? Because when the psalmist wrote this, the people of God had been waiting for a long time while they were singing this song. There have been so many times throughout the Bible. It's easy when you, when, when you read the Old Testament, it's easy to think that words from the Lord and prophets and miracles were just showing up every five minutes to all the people of God. When in reality, there are many times throughout the Bible where God's people were in darkness for a long time. Hundreds and hundreds of years of slavery in Egypt. Hundreds of years in the Old Testament between, between visitations from God, between prophets. Hundreds of years between the Old Testament and the, new to, and the coming of the Messiah. During which the Jews were being ruled by the Persians and Alexander the Great and Antiochus and the Greeks. And that's what this psalm is singing about. And during which, if Calvin is right, this psalm was actually written. So these people knew about waiting on the Lord in anticipation. So we see that if verse 12, that if verse 12, that the Lord will give what is good, but what does that look like? It's kind of a strange metaphor that we're given. Steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. So steadfast love and faithfulness, the, the word is almost, it's meet, but it's almost like embrace or are brought together. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. That's a very intimate expression of bringing two attributes of God together. This starts to get even clearer in the next verse. Faithfulness springs up from the ground, and righteousness comes down from the sky. So, as this covenant love and unbreakable faithfulness meet and embrace and kiss one another, it happen, it'll happen as faithfulness comes up from the ground, and righteousness comes down from the sky. So the, the physical stuff of this creation, joining with the spiritual, the things from above. What is going on? And what does this combination of God's attributes look like? Well, when they were praying, they were praying for redemption and revival. They were praying for God to rebuild their nation and give them his favor. But look at verse 13. It's not talking about a what anymore. This joining together of, of righteousness and faithfulness, embracing each other, being brought together, this joining together of faithfulness and righteousness, one coming up from the ground, the other descending from the sky. It's not a what, it's a who. Yes, the Lord will give what is good, and our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before him and make his footsteps away. The revival that God, the, the, the revival that the people were praying for, the restoration of God's people and God's kingdom is not a what, it's a who. The Lord will give us what is good, and its land, and, and the land will yield its increase. The, the, our land that God has given us will increase what is good. 
And the Lord did give what was good. And that was a combination of what came from the stuff of the ground and was brought down from the heavens. The Lord did give what was good, and it was a baby born to Mary dozens or hundreds of years after this psalm was written and over 2,000 years ago. That revival, that restoration of God's people is Jesus. Jesus is the coming together of earth and sky or of man and God. Jesus had to be God because God himself had promised the people that he himself would be their rescuer. And Jesus had to be human because only a human being can atone for human sins. He had to be one of us and he had to be God. Faithfulness springs up from the ground. Righteousness comes down from the sky. Righteousness will go before him and make his footsteps away. And the the final restoration that we are all praying for, the final restoration is the same thing. Jesus comes again. This is what we wait on in Advent. We cry out the same as this psalm. Will you not revive us again so that we can rejoice in you? Show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. Because Jesus will come to do for the whole world what he did in himself. He is going to bring heaven and earth together. He's going to bring earth and sky together. Where heaven comes down and this creation is reborn. Right now, everything dies. Everything falls apart. The center cannot hold. Right now, everything dies. But, but, when, but when the word, the very word of God, as John calls him, the word made flesh, when he comes again, everything is made new. These psalms are songs that we sing together. They are prayers that we lift up to God. And they are also encouragements inspired by God that we can sing to one another and remind ourselves to rest in his promises. And so we pray for God's blessing. We pray for God's favor. These are good things to pray for. We pray for God's blessing in our church, in our neighborhood, in our city, in our state, in our nation, to all nations around the world. But we know that the real revival, the real ultimate restoration, is not a what or even a when, but it's a who. It's the Word made flesh, Jesus Christ. And that Word is the thing that can never die. Because all flesh is grass. And all of its beauty is like a flower of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fade when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord will stand forever. Let's pray. God, will you, if nothing else this week, will you increase our trust in you? We cry out to you, for restoration. We cry out to you for revival. We cry out to you, how long, O Lord? We call out to you for for removing the, the physical obstacles that we have, for removing our burdens, for increasing the blessing among all of your people and all of your creation. But we cry out to you, O Lord, on an even deeper level, how long, O Lord? Surely the Lord is coming soon. Come, Lord Jesus, come. We all pray in his name. Amen.